You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn to Genesis 1. We're going to finish up chapter 1 um, today. So let me pray for us, and we will begin. Again, Genesis Chapter 1 is where we will be finishing up um, that chapter. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you um, for your word, Lord, that um, shows us and, and declares who you are and all that you have done for us, your creation. Father, I just ask today that you help us see the simple simple message today that God that you did it and we are to worship you Father help us to hide that into our hearts because Lord we need to be reminded often Lord ask for your help we ask all this in Jesus name Amen Can you take some of the reverb out of this? I'm going to start bouncing off the walls. Thank you, sir. So I've I've kind of come to two conclusions as I have been studying and and working and just trying to to step back a little bit and okay, God, you're you're saying something. You know, I can I can you could spend all this time learning and learning and learning and pull out all the 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 science ideas and and just. All of that, and I was just like, kind of just kind of pushed back from the desk. And what, what are you trying to, to say here? And, and it, what he kind of spoke to me is, is two things. First, in giving this account to Israel, I believe that God is turning the reader into a worshiper. This is kind of his goal, right? Remember, don't, don't forget, that's one of the things I had you write down last week. To always remember that this is written to Israel. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. He's trying to remind them the God that brought them this far and the, the God that's going to take care of them as they go into the promised land, right? So he's trying to take his, his reader and turning them into a worshiper, I think. Um, to truly worship, you must live in what Andrew Murray called absolute surrender. That's what it is to be a Christian, Right? Bonhoeffer said it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You are to live your life, right, in Christ, in the life of another. That's how we are to live as Christians, right? We are to worship. We are to enter a life lived through another. So he, I think he wants Israel to worship him, to, to see this God that, that is far better off than all these pagan gods that they've named and that he continues to show us that he's better, that, oh, by the way, I created that, I created that, I created that, that you call a God. I'm the one that created it, right? So he wants Israel to worship, I think. He wants them to change their activity and their attitude towards their God. Right? To simply show them that he is worthy to be worshipped. He is the one that is worthy to be worshipped above all these things that they are worshipping. 
This God who is transcendent and cannot be seen, who has no form, whose majesty is so great, he cannot be approached, but yet cares so much for his creation, especially his human creation, that he wants to be intimately involved in their lives, both collectively as a body, as a church, and individually, personally, as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So, do you see the, 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 the awe of this? That this God that created everything personally wants to be involved with you. When we worship God, we are then freed from worshiping false gods, right? When we are worshiping the true God, that means that all the things that we are worshiping that has been made, right? Romans 1 that we, we tend to gravitate to, we are free to worship the true God. And in essence, we are truly free. We are no longer slaves in bondage to those things. Because how does those things bondage us? Because they never satisfy and they never fulfill. So we always have to go back. And we always have to go back. And we always have to go back. Right? And we know from experience that they never, ever, ever satisfy. So God, I think, first thing is, is he's creating worshipers. The second thing I saw is we as fallen humans always try to be God, don't we? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> uh, we, we, we have to figure everything out. We have to know how everything is done. We have to know why everything is done, right? We have to be able to explain how it works. Maybe it's because we're in the West. But you got to remember one thing, that everybody in ancient times was religious. <laughs> they all believed in God, just depending on what God they believed in. You know, much like our East today, over in the East, they're very much religious. They all pretty much believe in a God where we have so many people that have just casted him out or made him into something. But I, I really think that, that we just worship gods too. We just have them by different names. Right? We just have different names. It seems like we're just, we're so terrible at exercising our faith sometimes. That we, that we, we come to a point where, okay, it's, it's either I believe what the Word of God says or I, I do what my mind has conjured up and so often, and we know that that's part of the fall and that's part of our heart. But it just seems like that, that, that we need help with exercising our faith. So I, I really think that God, in the opening of his book, is trying to say one simple thing to us. One simple thing, right? It's, as you could take and, and tear apart all the different things that, you know, like I said, there's so much been written about this. It, it's just, it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> He's just trying to say one simple thing. It seems like since God is the word that's used the most, and that one simple thing is this, God did it. What you see around you, what you experience every day, how everything is intricately made and, and woven together, God did it. God did it. And you're like, oh man, no, that, that, that's it? Yeah, God did it. But if you truly let it sink into your soul, God did it. 
We have so much of his word that shows us all the things that he did. And right here at the beginning, he's just trying to show you, I did it all. You can trust me. You can come to me. I want to be in a relationship with you. And the, and the most amazing thing that we will see is he did it, first and foremost, for his glory, right? He did it first and foremost for his glory, but we are also on his mind as he did this, right? As he created everything. We are on his mind. Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He had us in mind whenever he started creating all these things. God did it. So will we be convinced to worship? Will, will this become our, our pattern of life that we truly worship the God who created all things? Will we listen today to, for God to speak to us through his word and his servant? My sincere prayer is that you would hear from God today. Not that you would just learn something, but that you would hear from him today. That his word is valid, it's, it's good, right, for all things. For rebuke, for correction, to bringing man to completeness. A prayer that you hear from him today. So as we go to the Bible and we finish days 4, 5, and 6 today, I want to go back to, to verse 2 and, and just show you kind of why I divided it up the way I did. You know, most, a lot of people will just do, you know, Genesis 1, the whole thing, all the way over, to, you know, the full seven days. I kind of broke it up because I, I, what I read in Genesis 2, it seems, it says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So kind of what I saw was, and, and many other commentators saw this also, that what God was doing was the earth was out form and void. So it's like the first three days he formed everything, and the next three days he filled everything. So he's just kind of showing us that pattern, and we can see that pattern. We can see how day one and day five I mean, day four go together, day two, day five, day three, and day six. They kind of, they work together in parallel as, as they, they inform us on all that God created. So let's pick up in verse 14 and, and, and see what God did in his creation. Verse 14 says, And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So on the fourth day, God made what we know as the sun and the moon. Now, talk about ink spilt in arguments, right? 
How is there plants before the sun and the moon? How is there morning and evening before the sun and the moon? How is this happening? How does that happen? That's why I said I I think that we have a hard time exercising faith or trusting that God did it because we got to know how it works or we take our presuppositions from 2021 and we read them into the Bible, which is hard too because we know so much more because of God's grace, his common grace that has showed us so much more of exactly maybe how God created some of these things, right? We know that the earth isn't a center and everything revolves around the earth as they once believed, right? So I don't think that what God is trying to do is to specifically show us here when he made what specifically where we're thinking it's the sun and the moon. We got to stop and think of one thing. When he's writing this, it's called geocentric. In other words, he is writing it from Earth's perspective. When we think of our solar system, because of, because of the telescopes that we have and all the, the grace that God has given us for men that can devise these things, when we think of our solar system, we automatically have the, the picture in our mind, right, of the whole thing. Well, they're not thinking of it that way. They're thinking of it standing on Earth God made a light to to guide the day and a a light to guide the night. They weren't thinking a massive ball of fire and a a solid lump of rock that reflects this massive ball of fire. They were just thinking light. (laughs) That's it. That's all they were thinking here. They were thinking there was a light that he made to guide the day and a light that guides the night. Now, Some think that um, everything was made in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And then they kind of read Genesis 1 as God ordering everything. I think there's something to that, but not completely. He is ordering things. He is is setting things up. He's kind of like the the illustration I'm sure just about all of us have heard, right? You know, as far as if you're walking on on the beach and you find a watch, you would think that there's a watchmaker. You just don't think that it all comes together and works perfectly, right? That he is ordering things and and making things happen. What I really think the emphasis is, is their function. That's kind of what he's emphasizing when you read it. He's saying the light in the day does something, the light in the night does something. He's emphasizing their function. And notice again that he doesn't use the names that we call them, the sun and the moon. The names that maybe the pagan gods would be used, the sun and the moon. Again, this is to show Israel that the sun and the moon are not gods and the stars do not control human destiny. People still do this today, right? They read the horoscope. That's the same thing as looking at the stars for your future. Don't do that, right? We, we go to the, to the Bible and, and prayer and, and trust in what God has given us for our future, knowing where he is taking us and all that he has done for us. Moses, again, is attacking the pagan gods of the time. He, he say, no, it's not the sun and it's not the, the moon that do all these things. They're just lights that the God of the Bible created. Right? That's kind of just the, the emphasis that he's putting out there. That it's their function. And second, he tells them that the sun and moon are simply assigned the role of lighting the earth and ruling the day and night as the God who created them 
commands them. So he's, he's shown them this is the function. Not only is this their function, but God said this is what they are to do, and this is what they do. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. You know, Israel probably, as they read this, would not think of God fashioning these objects, molding them like clay, but more like he causes them to exist. God made them to do their job, to rule over the day and over the night. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. God did it. All those questions that so many people have, and they're valid questions, and, and they're valid things to, to look at and, 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 and pass to, to explore. But at the end of the day, God did it. And if, if God didn't create the sun and the moon till later on, you don't think God's powerful enough to make plants grow or the light that he has that gives out light before the, the sun was was made, supposedly. You don't think that he can do all that? He's creating it all by the, the word. I'm pretty sure he can take it, handle it. God did it. We should worship him. We should worship him. Continuing in verse 20. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm and according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now, just as creation of the heavenly bodies on the fourth day corresponds to the creation of light on the first day of creation, so the creation of birds and fishes on the fifth day matches the division of waters that he did on the second day. So he divided the waters, he made the skies, and now he's going to fill the skies with birds, he's going to fill the waters with sea creatures and fill the land. And there's just really one thing that I want to point out here. It's pretty self, we can read it, we understand it, he made all these things. But there's this one thing that I want to point out, and, and you could go back, clear back to verse 11 and pick up this one word. There's one word that he says over and over and over and over again, right? It's how multiplication happens, right? And this begins back in verse 11. God designed everything to re reproduce according to something. There's a, a word that he uses over and over and over again. It reproduces according to what? It's kind. It's kind. It's all through, the, all through the chapter. Everything reproduces, multiplies by its kind. Right? Apple trees produce apples. Elephants reproduce elephants. Each by its kind. And why does this happen? Look at the beginning of verse 22. And God blessed them. God blessed them. God's blessing continues God's work. That's what his blessing does. So he created it all. He designed it all. He said, you will reproduce according to your kind. And then he blessed it, kind of like he kicked it all off, so to speak. 
But yet we know that he still sustains it. And he still keeps it together. And he still makes it happen. Modern men would talk about success when they look at this word blessing, right? Be successful. Have success. But it's God's blessing that continues God's work. The word of blessing guarantees and affects the hoped for success. In other words, that that apple tree will produce apples because God blessed it. He continued his design. He continued what he is doing. God did it. We can believe it. We should worship him. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now God continues to fill the earth on the sixth day, but some things change and that's where I want to camp out and spend most of our time today. Genesis 1, 24 through 25 says this. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. There's that word again. Livestock and creepy things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All of these animals were made and multiplied according to their kind. But then God gets to the pinnacle of all his creating. And something changes. Right? Something changes. The way he phrases it, the way he, he speaks it into being, something changes. Look at verse 26 and 27 with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. See, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, previously, God would create a cow and would bless the cow and it would reproduce according to its kind, right? But now God created man in his own image. Differently. He, he made us in his own image. The narrative changes from the third person to the first person plural. Then God said, let us, which indicates divine dialogue. Who is he talking to? Let us make man in our image. Well, I, I don't believe that he's, that he's speaking to angels or to a council. I think it's God speaking to himself. And it's plural because of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us. And if you look just right down, so God created, in verse 27, created man in his own image. It's no longer plural. We also know the angels don't look like us. They're not the same as us. So he can't be saying, okay, angels, as a, as a council, so to speak, let us, right? I don't think angels have creating power. I don't, I don't see that written anywhere. I don't know of that written anywhere. I just think it's, it's, it's not specifically, you can't go to it and say, aha, there's the, the Trinity. But because we have the whole Bible, and we, we, we can't never stop thinking about the whole Bible as we're reading, right? We know that, that God is triune. That there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where I came down on that. 
I believe that he, you know, he says let us because he's referring to all three. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. The three in one. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does that mean? Now, there is no specific thing. I, I think it's one, another one of those things where you kind of look throughout the whole Bible to, for it to, to, to kind of form and fashion. And, and there's, there's another thing. You look up the image of God, and boy, a lot's been written about that from many different angles, from many different passages. Um, but to think about it a little bit, I thought, okay, so let's start with this. What is an image? Well, I started there simply because an image for us is much different than an image for Israel. And again, we can't leave Israel out of this because this is who it was originally written to. Right? An image for us, they flood our screens, our magazines, billboards, everywhere we look. There's images everywhere, right? And we're very much an image-based culture. I mean, we even communicate through images. We have emojis on our phones and we make videos. It's all image-based. It's more and more like that. However, in the ancient world, images were not pixels and pictures and paint, right? They were more like um, statues, monuments. You know, think of Israel whenever Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments and they fashion out of gold an image to worship, right? So there's a difference between their thought of image and our thought of image. So into such a, a context, the voice of God rings out the climax of Scripture's first chapter, right? Because you think Israel's, when, you, when you're saying image, when you're thinking of that, they're, they're making statues, they think of statues, they built statues, they build monuments. Some of the things that we go and visit are the things that they built, Right? And many times it's in the image of their God. But God is going to make us in his image. Right? So God rings out with his voice. In the climax of the first chapter, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So we humans are living Breathing, speaking, singing, moving images representing the invisible God to his world. We humans are living, breathing, speaking, singing, moving images representing the invisible God to his world. And what do images do? They glorify. They bring to mind someone great and reveal praiseworthy traits. Yes, I know that the fall has messed that up for us. That many times we stumble and we fail at doing that. But God has made a plan for that. That's Jesus. But that is the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? God is re-imaging his prized creation. He's re-imaging us into what we were before the fall. From one glory to another, to the next. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So think with me for a moment before we continue the rest of these verses. Just think with me. If we are created in the image of God, 
if we are created in his image, right? We are not the origin of our own existence. We cannot explain ourselves, and we are not the ultimate source of our identity. We are not the ultimate source of our identity. We are the result of the action of another. <laughs> That's huge. That is massive. Our identity is a gift of grace, and we mirror and point to another. Right? Because what we think is the basis of our identity is very important because it shapes you, it directs you, it gives you your values, it, gives, it devalues you. It controls what you do to some extent. So many times we attach our identity to so many things that are of this world or of our culture or even part of our family, but we attach our identity to that and instead of consistently preaching to ourselves that our identity comes from the Word of God and who God says we are. And brother, sister, depending on what situation you are in life, no matter if you're with your, your colleagues at work and your identity is found in how smart they think you are, or if your identity is, is on a sports field and your identity is formed in, in how athletic you are, or within your family, you know, so many times that we get with our families and it's like, I'm always the one that does. You're attaching your identity to that. If we are attaching our identity to anything other than what the Word of God says we are, who we are, how He's created us, we are going to end up um, depressed, <laughs> full of anxiety, miserable, falling into sin, and not glorifying God in what we do. It truly, it truly affects everything about our lives. And this is a battle. This is a battle that we fight each and every day. Every time, every day that we get up, we, we fight this battle. It's preaching to ourselves and, and telling ourselves who we are instead of believing what the world around us or what we have decided who we are. We are made in His image. We have value. We have dignity. Not because how much money you have or how smart you are or how you look or anything like that. It's because God said so. Because God made you. He did it. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. When you know, believe, and preach it to yourself daily that you are made in the image of God, it gives you dignity and it gives you a destiny. Because not only are you saying to yourself, okay, all these lies that I'm believing about myself are not true because the Word of God is truth, but it also tells you where you're going. It gives you hope in, in His plan for you, in His plan for all of us, His plan for creation, His plan in restoring all things. So not only does it give you dignity, it also gives you a destiny. You have dignity 
and value because God says you do. God did it. God created us in his image. An amazing thing is, is all that he did, all this creating that he did right here in Genesis 1, there's only one thing. There's only one thing that he made to be in relationship with him. And that's us. Humans. You're the only thing God created that is meant to be in relationship with him. Not in relation to, but in relation with. Personal, intimate, knowing him. And when God made his image bearers, he made them with two and only two distinct genders. We read that in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And just as he did the animals, he blessed them, saying, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see here not only the blessing to multiply, but we also see more unpacking of being in his image. We see this being unpacked right here in these verses. Humans are hearers, right? We are made in his image and we can hear. We are hearers. He created man and woman and then spoke to them. He spoke to us. That's amazing. This means that as image bearers, we can hear and receive God's word. No other creature, creature can do that. Nothing else can do that. We can hear from God through his word. This also means that we are now responsible, moral, spiritual beings. <laughs> because we know what God says and how he has designed things and how he wants us to live, to live a good and right life that honors him, that, that gives him glory, not only do we hear from him, but because we can hear from him, that makes us moral and spiritual and responsible beings. That's who we are. We are in his image. We are hearers and we are also rulers. He gave us dominion over everything he created. He hands it over to us. He created, he created all this and kind of hands the humans the keys. Here you go. Rule over it. We rule in the place of, like, kind of like a deputy. So that means we cannot let the creation control us. We are to subdue, make subordinate, is what the, what the scripture says, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we, we don't become subjection from it, but, but what we, we subdue it, we rule over it. However, we rule over it in such a way that we are stewarding it well. Because it's God's creation. It's made for us. It's made for our good. It's incredible. We have been given dominion over these things. We know, we'll see later on where, where Adam got to, to choose and, and pick the names of things. 
That's more dominion over things. And we see God speaks further in verses 29 and 30. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God gives the plants and the trees that produce fruit for food for everything that has life. Everything that has the breath of life. Everything that is breathing, living. See, God speaks. And it was so. God did it. God did it. We should worship him. We see man and woman as the apex of a fully formed and filled creation made by God. Men and women are glorious indeed. They're, they stood before the fall, deputies of creation in a state of spiritual, social, and ecological perfection. Everything was perfect. They were all, they were at peace with God. They were at peace with nature, with, with everything around them. It was all made perfect. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. But we know that the fall did come. Right? Even, even Genesis, as it's written, and it's writing before Genesis 3, and it's, and it's showing us um, all of the perfect um, place that he made, the perfect people that he made, everything that he made that was perfect, it was written to Israel, who was post Right? They were post-Genesis 3. They felt the effects of the fall. They were enslaved in Egypt. Right? But we know the fall does come. Mankind remains in the image of God, but as marred shadow of himself. So, where is our hope? Where is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ because he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. If you want to study and understand what it means to be the image of God, read the Gospels. Read about Jesus. He is the perfect image of God. He is what we take out the divine part. <laughs> right? He is what we should be. What God is working us to be. That's why he is creating us in his image and moving us from one glory to another to the image of his son. So as we look at the Gospels and we see Jesus, we, we are seeing what we should be. What he created us to be. Right? It is in Christ because he is the image of the visible God. He is the exact image of God's being. Hebrews 1.3 tells us. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the beautiful thing is, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, bringing us back into the fold. 
into a relationship with God. It was broken because of our rebellion. It was broken. And one day, because we are in Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 49 tells us, we will one day bear the perfect image once again. Just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of man of heaven. The destiny of believers in Christ is to be in his image. And this includes everything that was suggested in our being created in God's image. Everything that was here in Genesis 1, everything that he made us to be, everything that Christ is while he walks on earth. We humans are living, breathing, speaking, singing, moving images, representing the invisible God to this world. This is who you are. This is who you are. God did it. We should worship him. We should worship him. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, if we could just live, leave here today as we look at how nature works, how everything intricately works together. We can scream out, God, you did it. You created it. And we can, we can leave here today and say, God, you created me in your image. And you created me in such a way that I can hear from you, that you cared enough that you you want to be in a relationship with me. Even though I don't deserve it, I rebelled against you, I don't, I don't trust you, I don't do what your word says. I've done so many miserable things in my life. But he cared so much for those that he created in his, in his image that he sent his son to save. To save us. To take the penalty we deserve. Father, I pray if, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would change their hearts that they may respond with faith in you. To lay down the things that they might be worshiping today and completely and fully run hard after you to come and die and to live a life through another as you mold us and shape us into the image of your son. Father, help us with that today. Lord, I ask for your help and for your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.